Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 85 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Dinaeus, and I am joined as ever by DAZN sports journalist and the features editor of HookedOnWrestling.co.uk, Liam Happ. Good evening to you, Liam. Good evening, Dean. My introductions are getting longer each week. I love it. And, and less insulting. And less insulting. I suppose you could combine the two factors and give the longest one yet, where you read off all my positive attributes, and then ten seconds later you can go into five minutes of all the insults going up. That sounds good. That That is a definite possibility. Yep, yep. I look forward to it. So here we are in a, a golden age of podcasting again. Did um, it ever end, Dino? Well, that is the question. Um, my my COVID symptoms appear to be coming to an end, so uh, hopefully as the weeks go on, I won't sound like I'm half dead. Um, and and we, uh, we've we got a, a special, a very special one today, because this is a little bit of Because WCW podcast history today. Yes. We, uh, we mentioned it at the end of the last Nitro Watch Along a week ago, and we're going through with it. Uh, New Year, we we did miss all you guys in that little extended break, so we decided to branch out a little bit more. We're doing our first clash. Our first clash, and what a clash it is. And, of course, we couldn't do a clash without having a guest, and I'm very, very pleased to say that I have got a man who I've known for many, many years um, and in fact, this time of year, we would normally be getting hammered somewhere backstage um, at a post-show party for a TNA or Impact Wrestling taping. But obviously, no such thing these days, sadly. But welcome to Because WCW to Mr. Joel Ross. Hello, guys. Were we in Florida together for one WrestleMania? That uh, was you, wasn't it? Detroit. That was, I think, was the it? first time yeah. I met you. It was when yeah, you. Yeah, that was right. And... Yeah, Detroit. You were so. <laughs> it was Detroit. It was Florida. It was, it was somewhere. It was um. It was when you and uh, Jason J.K. were working for um for Radio One and um and you uh you had a competition for people to come to WrestleMania um and I was over there with Simon from the Sun because the other the other Lil's boy couldn't make it and I took his place. Um, and yeah, and you guys had, um, you guys had the, uh, the competition winner who added to the prize of, uh, of going to WrestleMania 27 by, um, making it going to WrestleMania 27 and allegedly shagging Mr. Perfect's daughter. Yeah, that was it, wasn't it? Because everybody yeah. else was going, so I'm, I'm going, right, yeah, sorry guys, we'll get, uh, the hospitality will sort you out, there's, there's, there's great things, WWE will be brilliant for you, they'll, they'll set the bill for everything. Things you can't go to is the party afterwards, it's only talent and, uh, you know, top management. Anyway, he goes off, uh, gets himself into the party, gets a picture with Vince, a freshly shaved head, um, was that the one? Was it? Was it? Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's got all his pictures with Vince, and there he is, and Mr. Perfect had just gone to the Hall of Fame, and there's his grieving daughter, 
Next morning, coming out of his room. <laughs> oh, such a good story. Uh, it's true, though. I was so jealous. And um, and I remember we also um we also started the uh, started the weekend with um with Jason not knowing anything about wrestling, and by the end of the weekend he was going, "Oh look, that's Nick Bockwinkle." Yeah, I, I said to him, I got the call through from uh, whoever was doing the stuff for WWE PR at the time. Uh, so I said to him, do you want to go to WrestleMania? And he's like, I prefer to suck me on cock. Oh, it's that pan- <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's Panto on, uh, on Bonfire now. We don't want to fucking go. Oh, we don't want to fucking shit wrestling fans. Uh, where is it? It's in Florida. Yeah, I'd love to go. Oh, no, it's in Detroit. Yeah, that was it. I'd love to go. Where's Detroit? It's America. Yeah, yeah, I'll come. I'll come. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he got, um, he, he made loads of friends, to be fair. I mean, one of the one of the best ones he got, you know, and Chris Benoit was my favourite of all time, um, and he managed to get Benoit's number. Uh, was texting him after the show, asking what his match was like. You know, again, it's it's just it's typical. I spent all this money, been around the world, following this great sport, and people don't like it. Suddenly, you get to shag Mr. Perfect's daughter, or great, or get Chris Benoit's mobile number. Neither of which you you achieved. Well, well gutting, absolutely gutting. Yeah, guts. Well, I think we've um, I think we've established the uh, the the tone of this uh, this episode anyway. Um, now we do have uh, listeners all around the world, including parts unknown. So if if anyone is unfamiliar with you, Joel, give us a little bit uh, of info about your good self. Um, I'm forty, well, I'm forty three now. Um, I used to work with a guy called J.K. who I speak to probably more now than I used to do when I worked with him. Um, probably been fired from every radio station um, <laughs> around the country. Um, hosted Wrestle Talk TV on Challenge for a few years. Was fired from that as well. Um, and, uh, and now I'm back living in um, in Manchester, uh, trying to hang on to the last radio station to fire me. So by the time this goes out, I may have been fired. And uh, and what station is that you're with? A station in the northwest called Rock FM, uh, which doesn't play rock music. Plays gem- uh, generally pop music and uh do the morning show on there and uh, have you managed to get dwayne johnson to do a station ident yet that was the idea for the launch oh. uh it didn't happen we got um the other girl from the sugar babes <laughs> close close enough i mean that was it i mean you look, you look through it and you go who can we get so you had jenny from atomic kitten uh she was bang up for it um monta or whatever she's called from the sugar babes or dwayne johnson Oh, well. it's the thought that counts, you know. Yeah, so that, that, that's me in 20 seconds. <laughs> Fantastic. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. So we are, uh, we, we said to you, we are, we are going to start to start looking at some of the Clash of the Champions broadcasts. And you you've picked what, could he's, he's probably one of, if not the best one of all. It's certainly the most memorable one of all. It's the show that, if anyone says to me, Clash of the Champions, I always think of this. Clash of the Champions 17, the the Sting and Rick Rude show, basically. Um, we, we, we'll go through it match by match. Tremendous show. Um, I guess what we need to remind people about, you know, is that this is the end of 1991 it's it's still the the squash match era so having something like this a tv special it's like two and a half hours long um with 
all feature matches. I, I guess this is like the WCW equivalent to Saturday Night Saturday Night Main Event. Yeah, that'll be it. I mean, I would have been uh, 13, 14 maybe at this point. And, you know, they talk about the old tape traders and, and they go, you know, oh, I was getting tapes from Japan and all this. I was ordering this from the back of the News of the World for a tenner um, for two weeks later. So it, it comes to me. I'd wait for the postman to arrive, say, see you later, Mom, going to school. And as soon as she's gone, go back inside and watch any of these clashes or uh, Saturday Night's Main Event or Mania, to be fair, before they were live that night on Sky. Um, so I've, I've so many great memories of this. Uh, and it was also the year that I changed my, uh, my surname to, uh, to Ross after Jim Ross. So I'm quite pleased that I picked him, um, saying all these years later, he's still probably the best in the game. Um, so yeah, I was looking for a surname when I was starting my uh, radio career at that age. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my surname's Hog, right? Isn't a pig, but with two G's. Uh, and it was the time, you know, the nineties where you had to have two uh, Christian names. And I was like, I was a big wrestling fan. I was like, uh, Jim Ross, Joel Ross, that was great. I, I nearly chose that. Do you remember Scotty Flamingo? Yes, I do. Yeah, I nearly chose Joel Flamingo. <laughs> so that was that was on the list. So I was like one of them teenage girls writing down like uh, when you when you fancy somebody at school and you write their surname next to yours and see how they'd look. And I went through a stage of putting Vanda in the middle of everything, like you know. So uh, yeah, Joel Vanda Flamingo and stuff like that. But I went for uh, yeah Joel Ross by the end of it. But yeah, this was the, this was the era. And I watched it back at the weekend. I think Dean, uh, when Dean was in the WhatsApp group, had said, you know what? There's a great tag team match in here that I forgot about. And I completely forgot about it. And we'll get to it. But, oh, my God. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And the the good thing with the Clash shows is that you'd often get these, like, unusual main events. Um, I mean, the the main event here is is Luger defending the world title against Rick Stein, who is usually a, a tag team wrestler. Obviously, there was the famous Sting v. Flair match at the first Clash when Sting wasn't anywhere near a headliner. And just a couple of Clashes before those, uh, and, and this would be a great show for uh, someone else to review with us, I guess, down the line, but Flair and Bobby Eaton, two out of three falls match. So that these these shows throw up the occasional odd match yeah, it's like watching primetime wrestling, you know, when, when they used to just go to random matches and nobody had, nobody checked the tapes. I'm sure Vince wasn't even bothered. And it was like, let's go to Tito Santana against El Matador. And you go, how's that work then? Oh, it just, it just Gorilla had cocked up and it was like, so, you know, somebody else. And it'd just be a random match, a real random match. And um, quite, quite nice. Because at this point, you know, how many times can you see Flair and Sting, to be fair? Mm. Yeah, it's um. I mean that 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 was obviously the one that started it all. But as we've uh, seen throughout the course of WCW, they could do a match in their sleep. But um, yeah. But uh, let's let's have a look uh, at this show. So it's it's November the nineteenth, nineteen ninety one. We're in the Civic Center in Savannah, Georgia, for the seventeenth Clash of the Champions. Um, the opening graphics are very much uh, of its time. They remind me of uh, Saved by the Bell, that kind of. Uh, multicolored ever-changing uh graphic and and our commentators strangely enough are are jim ross and tony shivani as we still see them 30 years later on on aew um and as i said the main event is lex luger making what turned out to be one of the last defenses of his uh, wcw world title against tag team specialist rick steiner 
Uh, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham are scheduled to challenge the enforcers of Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko for the world tag titles. Uh, but Windham is rumoured to be injured, and they're saying at the beginning of the show that Rhodes might have a mystery partner instead. And the under-pressure Sting will be defending his US title against Rick Rude. Uh, backstage, we go to Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt, because, of course, in WCW, you can never just go to the wrestling. And finally, we get on with the action, and we open up with a lumberjack match between Thomas Rich, along with Alexandra York, against Big Josh and the WWE Network and the Absolute Bastards have edited out the York Foundation's entrance music but kept in Big Josh's North Country Woods music. Um, Big Josh, if you're not aware, was a terrible gimmick from WCW of a lumberjack who carried a literal axe handle to the ring, was portrayed by Matt Bourne, who was later the original Doink the Clown. Um, the ring is surrounded by lower and mid-card wrestlers who aren't wrestling tonight, such as Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, Todd Champion, the Freebirds, Tracy Smothers, Steve Armstrong, and more, uh, including other members of the York Foundation. Um, Josh is dominating early, as Rich is unable to escape due to the lumberjacks chucking him back in every time he tries to leave the ring. Um, the That log roll move that Josh does where he stomps on his opponent's stomach always looks very painful to me because anything like a double foot stomp, you're on their stomach momentarily, but this is actually treading on you for a few seconds. Um, Josh then gets thrown out to the heel side. They all beat Josh up till the baby faces come to the rescue and Rich is now in control using some unraveled wrist tape to choke Josh. The end of the match comes after six minutes and three seconds with both men doing the crisscross in the ring. Terence Taylor appears to deliberately trip up his York Foundation teammate Rich which leaves him lying for Josh to hit the Northern Exposure which is basically a pound shop version of the Earthquake Splash for the pinfall win. What did you think of this opener, Joel? Well, first of all, um, I thought you were going to put the graphic when you mentioned Saved by the Bell, because uh, Screech died this week. Of course, yes. Yes. He died this week, so that's why I picked it. I knew that was coming. Um, do, do you know what? I remember Big Josh as a... Um, well, obviously, Matt Bourne uh, later on to be doing and whatever. I, I used to watch him on Worldwide, and, and used to think it was terrible. He used to think it was really bad. He didn't actually look that bad in this match. Um, this was a time where, you know, it's the Org Foundation uh, had all been given that uh, row. We need to do something with you. So there's that Richard Morton, wasn't there? Thomas Rich. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Oh, Terence Taylor. Terence Taylor. Yeah. I desperately wanted hair like him as well. It was, you know, he'd gone from like the blonde hair to the dark hair that was slicked back. And I desperately wanted that at this, this, this time. Um, I really fancied um, um, Alexandra York and I'm watching it back going, what the hell was I doing? Um I do you know what the match wasn't that bad when I saw it come up first of all I thought oh where we go it is WCW worldwide it it was short it was to the point it was pointless um, but anyone who gives Big Josh a bad time uh, with a bad gimmick it was it was it was all right it was it was nothing exciting it wasn't like what we get later in WCW flippy flop flying you know luchadors or whatever it, it was it was just there and it was you know like I say pretty pointless but you know it wasn't wasn't offensive. Yeah, all, all the focus seems to be, on, or more than the focus seems to be on the lumberjacks than the actual in-ring action most of the time. Yeah, it was um, it, it, it was a bizarre one. And like you say, you watched it on the network. Uh, I watched it on Daily Motion, and I got the full entrance uh -huh. music. Yeah, yeah. It's just because the um, it was buffering and people trying to watch uh, the Royal Rumble bits at the weekend. So uh, yeah, I watched it on Daily Motion with uh, no ads, and I watched. Oh, it was like proper rip from the old VHS tape. Oh, beautiful. 
beautiful yeah. stuff. Yeah, Liam. I, th- I think the uh, the entire the entire WCW archive may still be up on Daily Motion. No I one's have, noticed. I, I yeah, <laughs> I, I have some trouble sometimes tracking it down. It used to be much more uh, blatant to find, but yeah, it's good to know that it's still up there if you do the right amount of digging. Daily Motion used to be a glorious website, a little more toned down now, but still, still a great little alternative to YouTube. Yeah, when you get to 43, this is like your dark web. You know, you are typing in on a Sunday morning, Rick Rude versus uh, Sting, and you, you might just find it. All right, it's in Japanese, but don't worry about it. The quality is great. <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that I, I, I've never got around to watching it, but I think the entire uh, back catalogue of Curb Your Enthusiasm is on there as well, which is something I've never seen, but a lot of people tell me I would love. Yeah, that might be worth tracking. I've seen a couple of episodes, but I'm one of these people, until I watch it from start to finish, I can't really pass much judgment. But yeah, that's on my to-do list as well. As for this match, um, there was a bit of a backstory, apparently. So Really? Yeah, so appa- apparently um, they were doing a thing where uh, Thomas Richards has brought Big Josh into WCW after training him to wrestle. And then pretty much almost immediately turned on him to join the York Foundation. So that was this feud. And obviously, <laughs> by by the end of it, he's apparently been kicked out of the York Foundation. But we'd never know for sure. Because the group split up pretty much soon after. Uh, I always loved the really lame... I mean, we, you always, I know it's part of Paul Heyman's, Paulie Dangerously's charm to have the massive brick phone. Yeah. But not enough credits given to the fact that they'd always, they're talking about like predicting the future with this technology. Oh, yeah. and, and the And the computer's like from 83. Just absolutely, I mean, I, I mean. It's an acorn. Yeah, you, you'd see, you'd see anything that's not a, a laptop or a flat screen monitor now and you'd think all right that, that is a massive pc but th- these ones they were using for this it's like and we know how well funded wcw was could they not have brought just one decent bit of technology and if they're going to say they're predicting the outcomes of matches with this technology go, and this was the, the um sorry go for it and this was the point where wasn't Alexandra York, wasn't she a makeup artist for CNN and was coming into WCW just to help out every now and again and they stuck her on, on camera because she's got a great surname before she married uh, Dustin Rhodes. She was, uh, was Terry like, Boatwright, Boat, I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, all I think is that thing where you go like <laughs> between your boobs. What's that called? Motorboating. <laughs> that's it in my head. That's all I've got. Terry Motorboating. Terry Boatwright, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, originally a makeup artist for CNN where she worked on Larry King's makeup. Uh, someone else had that job. Not yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> on the weekend, she did makeup for the wrestlers of Jim Crockett Promotions. There you go. And then when Ted oh. Turner bought the company, she moved to Atlanta to continue doing makeup for some of the wrestlers. And then oh, Ole oh. Anderson asked her to become a manager. Yeah, fairly dead. There you go. Cool. Right, uh, on to match number two. It's Firebreaker Chip um, from the WCW Special Forces, uh, the Patriots, against Bobby Eaton. Um, 
no no ring entrances. They are in the ring when the match uh, begins. There's, as far as I'm aware, there's no storyline behind this. It's just a non-squash match, which, as we said, was a, a TV novelty in this era. No idea why Chip's in the singles match and Todd Champion is a lumberjack, but there you go. Um, Chip starts off on the offense doing a spectacular twisting crossbody block off the top rope. He gets a two count with the top rope clothesline. He's really going for it. So uh, Eaton changes tack, takes him down to the mat. Um, Chip charges into Eaton in the corner, but Eaton absolutely nails him with the clothesline to a decent pop from the crowd. Finish kind of comes out of nowhere. Chip goes for a rolling cradle, uh, but Eaton kicks out and his momentum sends Chip face first into the corner. Eaton then picks him up into a belly-to-back suplex, which he holds with a bridge to get a three count in four minutes 52. I'm not entirely sure if that was meant to be the finish because they both sort of popped up quite quickly and the ref had to separate them. Um, but but that was the, the three count. And um, I mean, there's no such thing as a bad Bobby Eaton match, is there, Joel? No, there's not. I mean, you know, you stick somebody in like fire, break a chip. Now, I, I presume you've done your research and find out where he's from. But I remember, you know, um, early hours of uh, was it Monday night into Tuesday morning. I think we got in the York's TV region watching uh, worldwide and he was on there. And I remember being a fan. And again, looking back, you're going, wow. Um, you, you two have caught the rumble now, haven't you? So there's no spoilers. Yes. You, y- yes. Um, Carlito came back uh, looking very similar to fire, break a chip. Um, <laughs> And I, I think I said to you in the WhatsApp group, I mean, Bobby never had a body, you know, probably one of the best workers of all time, you know, with uh, Ricky Morton. Um, and you can't get a, Bob, a bad Bobby Eaton match. And I think that's why they stuck him in with uh, with Firebreaker Chip. But, you know, it, Bobby Eaton looked like a homeless drunk. You know, when you just look at them and he's the star and you look at, I mean, it, it was a cross between very early Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, I mean, am I, am I wrong here? He was no good. Firebreaker Chip. Um, yeah. It didn't last a particularly long yeah. time. Useless. Yeah. yeah. Where's he from? WCW I... Special Forces. That's where he's yeah, from. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know that. But I... where's hey, where's he really from? I think he was. Um, I think he was. Was he Curtis Thompson? I think he came from yeah. like Pacific Northwest region. I think it was some. It was someone that that is very. He was sort of quite short, but obviously good body, good looking guy that they wanted to stick on in magazines and posters and whatnot. Yeah, hang on a second, Joel. Are you questioning the integrity of their billing him as from WCW Special <laughs> Forces? Are you Absolutely trying to imply not. that there's no such place? Because no, no, we know I'm there's a parts unknown. We get listeners from there. Yeah, yeah. And we know <laughs> yeah. there's a WCW Special Forces. I think we just haven't been able to get the podcast out there yet. Their, their technology is as bad as the York Foundation's. But we'll get there yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked past it in Atlanta. I've been there. I walked past it. And he's on the poster outside. He's the mayor now. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. Like Kane. He probably is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, that was another good one, wasn't it? I tell you what, you're the mayor of somewhere. I tell you what, how do you fancy coming and working somewhere for a, for a couple hundred grand, getting COVID and taking it back? <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't, would you, if you, if you were Kane? You really wouldn't. <sighs> No, I mean, just just looking at it, yeah, Fire, um, Kurt, Curtis Thompson was his name, Firebreaker Chip. He was basically in WCW for for less than 12 months, I think. I wonder how much they paid him. Too much. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the, the interesting thing with this this era, Liam, I think, is that we, we can see that they're moving away from WWF-style gimmicks like 
firebreaker chip like Big Josh, and this is this is a, a sort of a turning point in WCW where we're now we're getting a kind of a bit a bit more of a straight up wrestling style, which then lends itself to the Dangerous Alliance era. Not only that, but this using Bobby Eaton and giving him the win here, the main function that is we are, but we're not quite there yet, but we are like a couple of TV episodes away from the full formation of the Dangerous Alliance. Mm. And I, f- I think at the time, everyone was pretty much waiting for, for Bobby Eaton to turn heel again. And soon after this, he would be part of that stable. That was what everyone seemed to be... Uh, expecting to happen or though those who had a little bit of inside knowledge of what sort of uh, plans they had expected Ian to be part of this stable I think even the people who were casual were thinking well when's he going to be a villain again uh, and that's where we're heading so this has fluffed him up a little bit with the win here mm-hmm. over over dead weight essentially and yeah. soon after this show that's exactly where we'd be headed Indeed. I mean, he, he, uh, later on in the um, in the broadcast, after the Rick Rude match, I think is Paul Paul Lee dangerously does use the the term the Dangerous Alliance. There you go. Maybe the first time it is mentioned. Uh, yeah. Um, so we we then have an advert for the next pay per view, which is uh, in. Uh, in a month's time, Starcade 91 Lethal Lottery with its entirely random drawing, which we reviewed back in episode 49 with uh, Sam Berry Gardner. Um, next up, we uh, have a promo segment with Sting. Um, so <laughs> now, now this is another this is another great memory of mine from the I. <laughs> Late night ITV worldwide broadcast that we often talk about, where Sting had been receiving <laughs> large, <coughs> large gift oh, boxes, and, and, and I mean very large, large enough to fit Abdul the fucking butcher oh. in, um, from a mystery donor. And apparently tonight he will receive the last box. We're told. So he comes down and greets Tony Schiavone just as he's doing thirty years later. But before he can really say anything, a very homoerotic troop of oiled-up men in black trunks carry a sedan chair or a litter or whatever you want to call it, uh, out of which emerges Medusa in a sort of belly dancer costume as Eastern music plays. And, well, I've described it as a very provocative dance. I don't know how you'd describe it, Joel. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, slapper after 14 blue WKDs in 1992. Um, I mean, I mean, this this is this is the segment. I, I nearly uh, died of actually laughing there because this is one of those segments where you never want your flatmates or your missus <laughs> or your husband to walk in while you're watching wrestling. Yeah, uh, and then you, and then they go, "What's going on here?" And they go, "Oh, by the way, this is Sting. What the guy that? Yeah, yeah, the guy in the face paint. Yeah, yeah. So so what's been happening with him is for the last few weeks he's been open boxes, and then people have been coming out and kicking the shit out of him. So of course. He would want to open another box. Kids Medusa. Now, what's she got to do with it? Well, don't worry about it. You see all these lovely black um, black men. I was going to say that's wrong. The lovely, lovely men in black pants. Now, keep watching. It's going to get very raunchy here. And they go, okay, got to leave. Bye bye. And you go, I should never be a wrestling fan. I would turn that over, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd just flip up one channel or, or stick the one show on or something. It's one of those, one of those moments when you just go. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> but fun. 
bit of fun. So, um, out of nowhere, Lex Luger runs out, clips oh, Sting's knee from behind. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but as he's working over Sting's knee, he does, because Sting had his uh, left knee surgically reconstructed uh, a year or so before. And Luger actually grabs the wrong leg. And I think Sting at some point has to tell him, <laughs> wrong leg, wrong you leg. stupid fucker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so basically, um, uh, Luger just smashes Sting's knee on the edge of the rampway, and about a minute or so later, Babyface is run down to save the day. But um, as Ross says, the damage has already been done. Um, so we then go to com- a commercial break. We join the third match in progress, um, which is the Diamond Stud against Tom Zenk. So um, the Diamond Stud is, of course, a previous gimmick of Scott Hall, who left WWE not long after this to jump to the WWF and find worldwide famous Razor Ramon. Um, the action is shown in a small cutaway box as the main screen focuses on Sting being loaded into an ambulance. I mean, this whole match really is a backdrop for the Sting angle. Um, no sooner do we go back to the match in progress on the full screen that Zenk lands a crucifix um, and gets the pinfall win over Diamond Stud in 1 minute 24 seconds. Um, Stud then picks Zenk up and choke slams him and nails him with the Diamond Death Drop or the Razor's Edge. Um, and I don't know about what you think here, Joel, but I, I hate to say it, but I'm wondering if this was another match with a botched finish because looking at the replay, Diamond Stud appears to kick out of the crucifix right on the count of the stroke of the three count, and then it would sort of explain why he does two big moves after the match. Yeah, it was bizarre. I'm not sure anybody knew what was going on here. I mean, most of all, it was one of those, you know, you've got two great workers in there. You know, start of the career for Diamond Stud and, you know, Tom Zenk was always great. Mm. Um, but but it was very, this is this is Vince Russo, what, 10, 12 years later, whatever it was, with, I would be so pissed off if I was a decent worker. And he used to love this thing where he's putting Stone Cold Steve Austin into an ambulance. And you've got a great match on TV with two great workers. And they just completely ignore it. They ignore it, and the finish, that's a finish? Okay, well, what was the point? What was the point? I know it's TV time and what have you, but, but there's so many things you could drop from this show, like the entrance, uh, the, the intro of the show that went on for, for days. Um, I, I just think these two were either not paying attention or were being told that you're not on camera or whatever, and it was like, right, finish, go. And what? Shit. Uh, is that it? Are we on? Um, and I'm not sure Scott Hall knew what was going on there. Might have been the early start of uh, a few babies for Scott. <laughs> Yeah, there you are, Liam. Yeah, I, th- I think like part of the reasoning for trying to do something like this, they think, oh yeah, it looks really dynamic. We've got like action going on, but we're forced to go and check on Sting in the hospital. It, it gives it that more of a sort of live, unplanned, unscheduled sort of vibe. But yeah, most people just think, why bother? Just, just why even just someone yeah. being loaded into an ambulance where you can just say, yeah, Sting's had to go to the hospital because, you know, they tried to break his leg. No, oh, yeah. message received. Thanks for that. Um, I mean, let, let's put it this way. If the Queen died in the middle of a Manchester United-Manchester City derby game, they wouldn't be showing the game in a little cutaway box while the main screen no, had I, a picture of Buckingham Palace, would they? I, I, I'd want to know if they're converting to wingbacks in the 60th minute. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> who's coming on? Who's ruining my fantasy football yeah. this weekend? Don't don't switch to the news yet. They're they're about to sling on another striker. Come on, yeah. they, they could they can still win this yet. Yeah, we know we, we know she's died. 
The queen, yeah, the, the queen has died. Oh, I know now. Thanks for telling me. It's done. Yeah, she'll, yeah. she'll still be dead in half an hour's time when exactly. the game finishes. But yeah. United yeah. could still be ran through to the next round of the cup. Yeah. yeah. It's Excellent. Right. Match number four is the uh, first of our title matches. As stunning Steve Austin defends his World Television Championship against Christ on a bike. It's PN News. Um, is that his uh, full name? I believe so, yes. And when, when you talk of awful WCW gimmicks, you've got to include this one, haven't you? I don't know. So I mean, I know he got better when he was stone cold, but I didn't mind the stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the hair. It was the hair and the bad sides. I mean, this guy's never going to make it. I mean, that PN News guy, I mean, I mean, he's gone on to uh, amazing things. But this, this, uh, this stunning Steve, was this the year he was Rookie of the Year, or was that the year before? Uh, that was 1990. This was the year after. And two years, or well, a year and a bit later, somewhere like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he shows a little bit of promise here. I don't think he's ever going to do anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, stuck in there with a veteran, which is PN News. I mean, you know, he's got to... Uh, oh, Jesus. So, so I just, what he... Sorry, I just wanted to check. PN News, is, is that the one that kept defending Donald Trump? In America, is that the state? Is that the station that keeps acting like Donald Trump was doing a, an okay job, or was that, or was that one of the other ones? Sorry, I was I was casting my mind back, thinking, is he one of the the rest the old wrestlers who've taken a few bumps to the head defending Trump? But no, I'm. I'm oh, oh yeah, no, he's that. he's no he's no Jackson Riker. No, no, all Val Val Venus, wasn't he? He was uh, going off on one as well. But anyway, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, this is also the last TV appearance of Lady Blossom, who uh, friend is in the of the early... podcast, friend of the podcast. Yes, who is I think in the early, given what she was telling us when we interviewed her, I'm guessing she was in the early stages of pregnancy at this point. Indeed. Um, so yeah, the match gets off to a quick start. Austin is. Can I, I just say you two went? Re- I heard that episode. You two went really posh during that episode. If you get the opportunity, listen back because she's like. Oh yes, Dean. So through this time, uh, myself and Steve, and you're, and you're normally like, yeah, always pigs. What I'm thinking, darling. And it's like, oh yes, that's 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 correct. And of course, what a fantastic worker. Always a fantastic worker. Oh yes, it was like honestly, you both turned into William Regal. Well, Joel, that's because we make an effort for guests we care about. <laughs> All right, fuck off. <laughs> Cucumber sandwich, Liam. Yes. Uh, Charmed. So, um, yes, uh, Austin is bumping his ass off for power, PN News' power offence. Um, News lands a big elbow drop. Austin rolls out the ring. News pursues him and continues to beat Austin up on the outside, ramming him into the guardrails. Um, Austin tries to slam News, but he can't hold his weight. Collapses. News gets a two count from that. News then hits a belly-to-belly suplex near the ropes, but Lady Blossom puts Austin's foot on the ropes to break the count. Uh, News goes out to ringside to confront her, and then in the most spectacular move of the night, Austin takes a running leap over the top rope, uh, nails News from behind with his knee. The force sends News careering at high speed into the guardrail, um, and from there on in it's it's all Austin basically when they get back in the ring Austin sends News into the corner it gets reversed but Austin then sidesteps News's charge which sends News down to the canvas Austin grab, gathers up News's legs for a cradle whilst putting his own legs on the middle rope for the extra leverage that the heel always does to get the win in 4 minutes 21 seconds what what did you make of this one Joel 
Uh, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, you can see Steve Austin here at this point. You know, I don't think anybody would ever put their hand on their heart and say he was going to be the biggest wrestling star of all time, arguably. Um, but he, he was having a hard time getting PN news through this. Um, you know what? When when we're reviewing it, right? If I just was sitting there and I watched, I watched this. I, I didn't have an issue with it. It was on. It was in the background. You 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 put your head up if you're on your phone or something, and you know, hear JR say something. You know, balance and rally, and your you, your head will be up and and whatever. Listening to it back, why the hell would I have spent four and a half minutes watching Steve Austin uh, with PM News and also Lady Blossom um, dressed from? Why, why was she dressed differently? Do you say she was uh, pregnant or? Yeah. She'd always she always come out very provocative and very sexy and whatever, and it was her last you know TV appearance, and they made her look a little bit like well, you don't like her. You know, she, you know, you 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 hot blooded fourteen year old lad. You won't like her anymore because she dresses like your mum. It was it was it was a, yeah it was it was a bizarre one. It was um, it was just one again. It was just just a it was just there, wasn't it? It wasn't that exciting. Yeah, I mean, I I, I thought that you it was the completely like the Austin showing that he was carrying the match and you yeah totally I mean, and I, yeah well. You wouldn't think he's going to be the biggest wrestling star in the world. You could certainly see that he was, you know, for someone in, in his second, third year, he was very competent for his experience. Yeah, he was always yeah. willing to bump around like a pinball and he'd always mug for the camera. He, he had all those makings to get over for sure. How over he would get like seven years later, he was, it was off the charts. But yeah, it, were, it weren't too long before people were expecting him to be high-end in WCW, because you remember, 93s, 94s, people were l- legit wondering why he's not much more of a player. And there'll be all yeah. stories of politics with Flair, and, and obviously Hogan and co came in. So there's all that, which seems to be the situation. Yeah, well, by the end of 94, he's jobbing to Duggan, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yippee. But uh, I remember when we um, when we interviewed Guy Evans, the author of the Nitro book, and he was adamant in his opinion that he, had Austin stayed in WCW, he would never have got past the mid card. Well, I think that's true. You know, once once your job into Duggan, you, you go in. I mean, he would have been released anyway, wouldn't he? I mean, that that's it. Hogan's come in. Um, that uh, that Guy Evans book is really good as well. I uh, I actually got it before he was on your show, so. Um, I, I read it, um, and it's so different to every single book that's out there. Um, but to hear someone like Eric Bischoff go, "This is the book," and I'm thinking, well, he buries you in there as well. Absolutely, absolutely buries Eric. Yeah, but he buries <laughs> you know, he buries him with a mountain of evidence to the point where yeah, if Bischoff yeah. tried to <laughs> deny it, he'd lose all credibility. Yeah, no, I I, I really like that book, and uh, you know, I, I think as well. Yeah, there's, there's there's no way. I mean, Steve would have probably been gone in a couple of years anyway, wouldn't they? You know, well, as far as so I was going to say, we don't have to speculate because if you think about it, around the late 90s when Austin was on top of the world, WCW were doing that exact same thing with another crop of mid-carders. People wanted to see rub shoulders with the established main eventers. We've been over that countless times on the, on the show. Very and, true. and it really just hammers home. Yeah, Steve Austin would have been one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that group went to the WWF a few years later as the Radicals and made a hell of a lot more money and a lot more success than they could ever have dreamed of in WCW. So, yeah. Pretty, pretty much everyone in that situation did, yeah. Yes. Where is PN News now? He's the one that, that for years, it was the rumours about uh, him nicking stuff, wasn't it? Do you remember that? Have you seen any shoot interviews with him? 
No, I, I was going to say, I know that he um, mainly wrestled in Europe as um, and did a fair bit in the UK for All-Star as Cannonball Grizzly. He was a really good um, heel, um, heavyweight heel, but I, I didn't know anything about, about that. Yeah, I think the Google search is your, your friend here. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember who, who told me it was, you know, somebody of that era. Uh, and the rumor was that while the other guys were in the shower or working, that somebody was going through bags and nicking stuff. Um, and they all said it was him. Uh, and he brings it up on every interview uh, that he does and says, uh, it wasn't, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. So that's his side of the story. But everybody else said, oh, it was definitely him. Uh, I wasn't aware of that one, but yeah. um, well, two don't, don't, don't sue me. I don't think I said anything too bad there. Don't sue me. I was going to say, as, as you as you just said, there are two sides of the story. He said <laughs> yes. he didn't do it. Other people said he did. We will never yeah. know. But there you we'll go. We'll never know. Okay. I, and, to, and to be fair, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> okay, match number five: Cactus Jack against Van Hammer. Uh, so Cactus comes out to his funeral march music. This was when he was on in a full-on psychotic heel character, alternately partnering and feuding with Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, Van Hammer gets a full-blown music video entrance, complete with plenty of clips of him not playing the guitar that he doesn't know how to play. Um, again, the era of WCW shit gimmicks. Here's Van Hammer. Did um, you did you not get the um, Missy Hyatt segment before that? on the official one. No, uh, my we, we didn't. My, oh, my VHS copy. You get Missy Hyatt, who interviews the newest rookie sensation, who is... Ah, oh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Yeah. Thinking about it, they mentioned it at the beginning of the show, and then we never saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never get the, uh, the network editing. It's always a little bit weird. There's no reason to take this out, apart from Marcus Alexander Bagwell looks great. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, he's never going to get over a baby face. And you can see Missy, he, he's just, you know, dripping like a broken tap. And uh, she just complains afterwards that uh, he didn't ask her out. It was a different time, Liam. Yeah, it was a much, much different time. Although, obviously, Missy yeah. Hyatt would get sick of that a couple of years later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she looked half she looked decent. She looked good. She looked good. She anyway, had, uh, Van Hammer. Yes. Van Hammer. So um, Cactus jumps Van Hammer as the bell rings, which the commentators put down to inexperience as a rookie. However, um, Hammer is quickly on the offense with basic moves like a big boot and a body slam. Cactus turns the tables with his trademark clothesline where both men go over the top, which sets Hammer up to be on the receiving end of the elbow drop from the middle turnbuckle to the floor, which always looks bloody painful. Um, back in the ring, Cactus gets clothesline from behind, laying him lay leaving him laying face down on the canvas. He then receives a top rope knee drop to the back of the head from Hammer, but this only gets a two count. The two then clash heads, which sends Cactus out to the floor right by the commentary table, which just happens to be where Hammer very conspicuously left his V-shaped guitar earlier. Cactus then grabs the guitar and jabs Hammer in the throat with it at the moment that Hammer puts his head through the ropes to grab Cactus. Um, he then... Uh, gets back in the ring and pins him in four minutes, three seconds to give Van Hammer his first defeat in WCW. Um, Van Hammer then recovers in the blink of an eye and nails Cactus with his slingshot suplex finisher on the rampway as the two men brawl to the back. Your uh, impression of this one, Joel? Shite. But um, <laughs> Van Hammer, could he have been a star? If he'd have had some, some dust on him, some, you know, a bit of gold dust on him, could this guy have been a star? Could they tried. With him again, didn't they, a few years later? Uh, and again, it's all, it's always going back to 
who I liked as a kid, and I look back now and go, why did I like him? I don't know if I was taken in by it with because do you remember when Shelton Benjamin came into WWE and, uh, and and Jim Ross was like you know oh my god he's amazing this guy and, and he was, all the time he was just over you know this guy is amazing he was very much yeah. like that for Van Hammer at the time and because I was such a JR fan I always believed what he said and you know after a while he gave up on that but Van Hammer for me. I thought he had the look. He had a you know a great. Body. Oh, he had a great look. Yeah, the, the, the whole the whole entrance. It was he looked more of a star than DDP would have looked. You know what I mean? He didn't look so washed up. He was he looked great, but then what is it they say? The bell rang. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, again, you look at it back, and it's so weird looking at some of these names right before that. Steve Austin, you know, in his second or third year, and here's Cactus Jack. Who's um, you know later on to become again one of the greatest hardcore people of all time? Um, a mismatch, um, nothing to write home about. Great place to go to guitar. Great place to fall. Um, th- th- there's not a lot to talk about in that match really. I don't think it does anybody any favors. To be fair, it, it's not a great showing for Cactus Jack, and it it proved that Van Hammer really couldn't work. Clash of styles, was it, Liam? It was indeed. You had a clash between someone who could wrestle and someone who couldn't. <laughs> someone who could. um, to answer to answer your question in as in as cultured and nuanced and layered way as possible, Joel, when you say could he have been a star, the answer is no. Um, but thanks for justifying the logic of all these wrestling promoters for so many years when they get this absolute dog shit guy and think, oh, he looks good, you know, he's taking his. Oh, I was going to say something that begins with S and ends with steroids, but I'll say they're taking the vitamins uh, and they'll, yeah, they'll go for that hard, all the time. In the gym. Yeah. And of course, you guys would have heard about a year ago about his brush with the law. Mm. Mm. So my, my interesting part about this match, though, to be fair, was uh, the fact that throughout the entrances, Tony Schiavone is saying, well, you know, Given given what we know about Cactus Jack, he's probably going to wait for Van Hammer to turn his back and then jump him. And so what does that fucking meathead moron do? He immediately turns, turns his, back his back on Cactus Jack. He deserves everything he has coming. <laughs> I, I remember reading the story about Van Hammer. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but um, the, the slingshot suplex, which was his finisher. And, I, and again, this is my memory. Memories of worldwide because he would do that stomp stomp clap a la Queen um, before doing the the actual uh, move on a on a jobber and apparently when he um when he came into WCW and he was talking with uh, a, a, another wrestler of, of more of a veteran and they said to him oh what's your finisher and he said the slingshot suplex the other guy went ah oh, like Tully Blanchard to which Van Hammer just went who's Tully Blanchard and that kind of yeah. Um, Told you everything you needed to know about him, really. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, we then go to Eric Bischoff, who... uh, I love this part. He's on the phone, or... (laughs) Well, he's supposedly on the phone. I'm I'm imagining this is probably pre-recorded and Jim was talking to a tape. No? No, no, 100% live, because there was the the map of, of Atlanta on there. There was a red dot... Uh, with um, uh, of where Savannah was, I know Eric was there. 
See, if you you couldn't get away with doing that nowadays because you, you'd have some kind of uh, FaceTime gimmick going on. But um, yeah, back in those days, you could just have uh, Eric Bischoff with a crackly voice on the phone. Yeah, do you um, guys? Do you sorry? Do you guys uh, play Football Manager by any chance? Yeah. Yeah, do you, do you know? Do you know if you decide? You know, most people just watch the text to see if goals go in, but you have that mode where you can actually choose to watch some highlights. And on Football mm-hmm. Manager, they don't have like the FIFA technology. So what you get is eleven red dots and eleven blue dots moving around. Moving with, like, around. Yeah, yeah. This moving. is what this reminded me of. It was it <laughs> it, it was a glory. I mean, we should just have wrestling matches unfold like that. Yeah, it's, it yeah. reminds me of watching like um, when you've got an actor on a Saturday afternoon and you've got Stockport against somebody and you watch it on the Bet365 app and you just see this, you know, attack from Stockport. You go, go on, go on, go on, go on. And it's just like a little blue dot on the line. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Uh, I still do that on a Saturday afternoon. must get a like. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Or when you get the robotic commentary on BBC Sport where it's like, corner taken by a home team by, in swinging yes, home team i've yes. I, i've contributed that in the past i've been one of the guys they, they literally have someone uh at every ground and they will uh, they will call it in via the phone to someone at the at the center at the desk who will write it in that manner based off what you're telling them you're and you're giving them the bare technical details so that's one you, you could tell them anything so it's you know transfer deadline day last week so what you could have done is I could have been playing for a lower league side. You could have put it in there and made out that I made, you know, uh, 27 tackles and 47 shots on target. And somebody's going to pick this guy up <laughs> next year. I go to Man City, get 240 grand a week, get loaned out to uh, Leighton Orient, never play a game, set for life. Nice. I could I could do that. My alternative would be to not do that and keep getting paid myself. Yeah, good point. Yeah, but where's the fun in that? Yeah. Well, I find I find a lot of fun in money actually, especially spunking it up up the wall within five seconds. There's loads (laughs) of fun in that. This is this is a golden age for podcasting. It's also a golden age for wanking all your money away on eBay and Amazon. (laughs) This is true. Uh, but uh, unlike some of those people, we pay tax. Um, so Bischoff <laughs> is at the hospital and uh, he apparently he's got tremendous timing because he apparently while he happens to be on the phone to Jim Ross, he gets the thumbs up by a hospital orderly, which he takes it to mean the injury isn't too bad. Um, after that, we see footage from Halloween Havoc 91 where Barry Windham's hand was crushed in a car door by the enforcers and a TV squash match where uh, Windham apparently re-injured his wrist and hand. So we don't know if he'll be fit to wrestle. Let's find out. It is match number six. The enforcers of Arn Anson and Larry Zbysko defend their world tag titles against Dustin Rhodes and... Let's find out. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely loved the Enforcers as a tag team. I know they weren't around that long, but I just thought they were a fantastic combination. Yeah, just brilliant. The the double teams, the blind tags, things like that. Just great. Just absolutely unbelievable heel team. Um, And I hated them as a kid. And you you say not not around for long enough, but... um, I was going through some old stuff uh, that my mum found in the loft and, you know, we used to write down stuff and um, <laughs> I really should have got a girlfriend or, a, you know, <laughs> a problem at the age of like 14 or 15 and you're writing this down and I, I, I made several notes on this match and I put this down as the uh, the best match of the year and I forgot it was on this show and because um, you said, you know, what we're going to choose and I was like, oh, it's still a Clash 17 and it just came up. I was looking through and it came up as uh, Barry Windham. Uh, and Dustin Rose, I'm like, I don't remember that match. 
And of course, you've got the mystery opponent. So, you know, you've, you've both seen it. You can take it away from me or agree with me. Is this not the match of the year? Oh, this is tremendous. Absolutely. It's absolutely everything I love about wrestling that the previous two matches was everything I hate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. So, um, well, Barry, Barry Windham comes out in street clothes with his hand bandaged up. So that, that kind of immediately so old takes school. It was so brilliant. Um, yeah, he, he just apologises to the fans that he can't wrestle um, and introduces Dustin's tag partner without naming him. Uh, out comes a man in a black cloak with an oriental dragon head, which, with the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> makes it really obvious. But um, after what feels like an eternity of walking very slowly down the uh, rampway, he unveils himself as Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who had been wrestling in the WWF just 30 days previously to a huge pop. Apparently, he'd been fired by the WWF, which I, I didn't realize he'd been fired. But um, I was reading up about this, and apparently there were quite a few legal wranglings about this because... Um, the although his he was his contract ran until I think ninety three or something. Um, here we go. Yeah, the week before the show, WCW contacted the WWF and told them of their intention to use Steamboat at the Clash, and requested that if the WWF believed they had any legal claim to Steamboat, to please contact them by the Friday. Um, Steamboat's attorneys uh, had claimed that Titan had violated the contract in two places and the contract should be voided. But anyway, um, less than an hour before showtime, Titan sent a fax, tells you the time, the year that we're talking about. Do you remember them? Um, yeah. Titan sent a fax to the WCW offices in Atlanta when everyone of importance was already in Savannah for the clash claiming that they had legal rights to Steamboat. The word did reach the building before the show, and WCW's legal counsel, a man called Kip Fry, who had later become a bit more important than that, um, met with Jim Hurd and Jim Crockett, and the decision was made to use Steamboat uh, anyway. And as far as I'm aware, no uh, legal ramifications happened, but typical shithousery there, Liam, from the WWF. Yeah, it's almost as if they did it in that exact manner on purpose. But given their history, we can safely say that's not the sort of thing that WWE would do for the fuck of it, is it? No, I mean, you know, if if it was if that day was Ricky Steamboat's birthday, I'm sure uh, they wouldn't have deliberately sent it to him that day either, you know. No. No. Um, so the enforcers are absolutely doing their nut in the ring at the fact that they've got to face one of the greatest wrestlers uh, of his generation in Ricky Steamboat. We start with uh, Anson v Steamboat, which is just an absolute masterclass. All four men are fighting before long. The crowd are absolutely eating it up. The champions end up outside the ring. The babyfaces are dominating the early stages of the match with the element of surprise in their favour. Steamboat looks really fired up to be back in WCW after that disappointing short run in the WWF. Um, the babyfaces are still dominating. They're making quick tags till a blind tag by the champions. There you go. One of the things we're talking about with the enforcers catches Rhodes unaware and the heels take over. Steamboat's later tagged in and another blind tag catches him out. Now the champions are making frequent tags in and out and Steamboat's got the chance to demonstrate his awesome babyface selling. Nobody did it better in my book. Um, the enforcers are keeping Steamboat in there with more double teams holding on to Steamboat's leg to stop him tagging out 
more frequent tags. Steamboat finally makes the tag, but Anderson enters the ring to distract the ref, meaning he doesn't see it and it's disallowed. Um, Anderson and Steamboat clash heads. Both men are down. Anderson comes off the top, uh, but Steamboat raises his foot, which meets Anderson's face. And now it's a race to their respective corners. Finally, Rhodes gets tagged in, takes out both enforcers, cleaning house. Uh, then he makes a blind tag into Steamboat, and with all four men in the ring, Steamboat takes advantage of the confusion by climbing the ropes and hitting his trademark cross top rope cross body block on Anderson, while Rhodes runs in to cut off Sabisco for the title-winning pinfall in 14 minutes 48 as the crowd go berserk, and a child with an amazing mullet is held aloft by his jubilant father like a scene from The Lion King, if anyone notices that. Yeah, you, you're going to work out that he's somebody famous. You, you, you Google that and you realise that it's going to be uh, Dolph Ziggler or something. <laughs> you, you know, you know, it's, it's going to be somebody. <laughs> Are they going to bring him back for, you know, Night of Legends or something? Well, we have already spotted on a Nitro watch along, we've spotted Justin Roberts in the crowd before. Really? Yep. I can't remember what city it was, but yeah, he, he confirmed on um, Twitter that it was him. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, this, this match... Um, I feel quite bad about pirating this on Daily Motion. I should send my ten quid to WWE Network now. And uh, <laughs> and you know, a couple of months ago, I was like, I'm done with this. I've watched everything that I want to watch. I don't know watching new stuff. I'm cancelling this. This maybe a tenner a month. Um, so I'll pirate this honestly. Um, and I know loads of people say it on podcasts, if there's one match you want to go and see from this show of this year, th- this is the one that Jim Cornette would say. If you want to see a tag match, go and watch this. Mm. It was. I was trying to pick holes in it. And what's Dustin Rhodes here? Was he 19, 20, maybe? Something like that. He's, uh, yeah, he's early oh, 20s, I think. Yeah. You, can, you can see how, how good he is now as well all these years later. And I, I couldn't pick any holes in this match. I watched it again. And you know what it's like now when you've got your phone in your hand and you, there's, a, there's a break and, you, and you're texting away or checking what's happening in the yeah. world. I didn't do that once. I watched this like a Royal Rumble, and was, like, gripped. It was absolutely perfect for me. Yeah, he was 22 at this point, and this was his fourth year as a pro. Oh, just so good. So, so, I sound like so marky here, but that is, honestly, I, I watched this, and, it, you know, and people say things like, oh, we could stand up today. Of course it could. It, it was so good. Uh, even even the, the, the Ricky Steamboat, you know, you said earlier on about how... Uh, Looking at it, it was obvious it was going to be him. How was it not going to be him? You know, when he's standing there, when he said Oriental Drag on his head, who else is it going to be? You know, it's not going to be a Shockmaster. You know, that was that was still to come. It, it was it was gushing so good, so brilliant, brilliant from every single person in that match. Um, you know, it gets a five star from me. <laughs> awesome, Liam. Yeah, and Arn Anderson really, he must have been licking his chops when he read the notes from the agent backstage about what they're doing here because this was just his opportunity to to ham it up at every opportunity. Really, he this was this was gung ho Arn at his best with the yeah. with the not Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> yeah, and where was it later on when they're trying to rally? He's like, he's just a man. Uh, just yes. Absolutely brilliant stuff. He's cartoon character esque. But yeah, oh, when when we, yeah when you think about um, 
Right, a, a lot of people rave in the modern day about FTR, the revival, and you always hear these comparisons to the to the teams of yesteryear and all the teams that they openly pay homage to. And one team that is never mentioned is Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco, the enforcers. And I'd argue that they're perhaps the closest equivalent to what FTR bring to the table now. There are a few other great teams in that sort of old school vein you've obviously got Arn and Tully as well big influence but but you're right Dana you look you look at Arn and Larry and they just did they just did the little things so much more obviously they didn't have the whole horseman thing either so it was much more low-key old-timey goodness yeah I mean one I remember one thing they they did which I nicked for um, when I was managing tag teams before was um, like Arn Anson would would get um, the you know, the baby face would be firing up on arm, and he'd get hit, and he'd roll out of the ring, and he'd just walk around the ringside area, come back up into the ring in their corner, and then tag out to Zabisco. Completely legal, nothing illegal about that whatsoever. But it was just a little little trickery, a little bit of you know outsmarting the baby face. I, I thought that was brilliant. But I mean, yeah, this this match is just as you you said, absolutely brilliant. It is. If you know, if you're uh, if you're a, a wrestler who wrestles in tag teams, if you're a trainee looking at doing tag team wrestling, um, it's textbook to see how how a babyface should sell, how a heel tag team can bend the rules, how you can construct a narrative in the, in a tag team match. It's it's a masterclass, isn't it? Absolutely, oh, masterclass. I I can't pull any holes in it, and you know. Like I say earlier on about when you're watching some of the shite and your, your housemate, your, your wife, your girlfriend, your husband walks in and you're, you're watching something that you go, this is quite embarrassing. It always used to be a Eugene thing when I used to live with my ex-girlfriend and uh, she'd walk in during a Eugene segment and you go, no, 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 it's not all like this. It was something <laughs> like that. Nobody ever walks in on a match like this. Mm. It's, you know, nobody ever does that. But no, I thought, I thought it was um, absolutely perfect and um, I, I would, I'd watch it again. Fantastic. And again. Um, after a Jushin Liger highlight reel uh, because he is coming in shortly Jim Ross interviews Rick Rude's manager Paulie Dangerously who berates Lex Luger and Medusa for their actions tonight Um, he says what happens to Sting is a terrible tragedy but he has the contract for the match and reads out a section of the contract uh, showing it to Jim Ross saying, I'm not lying this time, which I loved. <laughs> yeah. um, and it states that if the US champion does not appear in the ring by bell time, the title will be forfeited and be, will be awarded to Rick Rude. Um, so after a commercial break, we go back to Eric Bischoff on the phone. And once again, he's got such great timing because as he's on the phone, Sting is coming out of the hospital. Um, we hear Sting in the background once Bischoff relays this news to him. Sting states uh, he's going back to the venue right now. Um, apparently, he's commandeered an ambulance, which I'm presuming is some kind of hostage-taking act. But fuck it. He's a baby face, so let's cheer <laughs> him anyway, eh? Um, match number seven. This is for the World Light Heavyweight title as Johnny B. Bad with Teddy Long, or Theodore R. Long as they call him, uh, challenges the champion Brian Pillman. How much does Brian Pillman Jr. look like his dad at this moment in time? It is he looks freaky. Oh, 
it's really, really freaky. You look at Harry Smith now and looking uh, at Davy Boy, certainly, and you know, facially, it's it's unbelievable. But you, you you squint, you have a couple of beers watching this, and you go, oh, that that is Brian Pillman Jr. Without a shadow, he looks yeah. more like Brian Pillman Jr. than he looks like Brian Pillman. Yeah. Sorry, Liam, you going to say something? Uh, well, I could. One thing I would say, I suppose, is that the the only thing that would have been freaky, really, is that if he looked nothing like his father. Because, yeah, yeah. Because that that's would, yeah. generally how genetics that's, that's, work. I just realised that as we were talking about that, oh my God, your son looks like you. That's a bit weird, because if he didn't, then my missus has been banging somebody else. <laughs> what is what is the American Jeremy Kyle? Do they have one? They had Springer well, for yeah, a little while, I Maury. suppose. They have Maury. Maury is the yeah. man with the... Uh, They'd be yeah. straight on Maury. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think my point is it's not a resemblance. It is like exact it's, it's him. copy. It's yeah. him. Um, so um, after playing the wrong music initially, out comes Johnny B. Bad with a very glum-looking Teddy Long who has apparently been having some dissension with his client. Um, we're told the light heavyweight limit is £236, which Bad only recently made. Um, so um, early on in the match, Pillman drop kicks Bad out onto the rampway. He follows up with a springboard clothesline. Um, Bad then drop kicks Pillman off the ramp and um, say drops Pillman off the ramp throat first onto the guardrail. Pillman recovers and later goes for a top rope splash, but Bad gets his knees up to counter it. Bad then comes off the top rope. He's intercepted by a drop kick by Pillman, which catches Bad in midair. And as Ross says on commentary, neither man is able to maintain an advantage for long. Um, Bad hits a top rope sunset flip on Pillman, but we see that Teddy Long has inexplicably got the referee's attention distracted from the match, which infuriates Bad. So Bad attempts to hit his left hook finisher, but Pillman ducks grabs him from behind and runs bad into long who's still on the apron pillman then rolls bad up for the pinfall to retain his title in a mere four minutes 19 seconds another short match um pillman swiftly exits the ring to give the stage to bad and long he's in fact leaves so quickly he forgets to grab his title belt um and meanwhile bad left hooks long to confirm and consolidate his babyface turn what were your thoughts on this one joel um, I wrote down in my notes, sunset flip, fuck me. Um, did you do see that really, really bad? It was, mm. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it to me, um, pulling that curtain slightly, uh, slightly ajar. Uh, it was a bit like they had 10 minutes to do this match, and just before they went out, they were told they had four and they needed to quote get their shit in. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's what I, I, I saw this as. Um, it was, I need to do a four minute match with everything we've planned for 10 minutes, go and do it. Um, years later, I would realize this at the time of being a kid, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known anything about this. And even as watching it as a kid, um, uh, even though I, again, I was a Johnny B bad fan. He, he was like a bit like Van Hammer. He was going to be a star because Jim Ross told me who's going to be a star. Um, I, it was, it was, it was what you can blame a lot of kids for now. You know, when you watch matches and you and, and you say take this out take that out and everybody talks about getting their shit in this was the prime example after that brilliant tag team match of they've done everything that they didn't need to do mm. i might be wrong no i think i mean i think where Rock, jim ross says about yeah they can't maintain an advantage for long because yeah they haven't got the time to to um to tell that that story story yeah 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 liam what do you think of this one 
Yeah, I mean, this this was so early on in the Johnny B. Bad journey, wasn't it? Before he'd really start to understand the uh, the, the the gimmick and the persona, uh, because there'd be a lot more charisma, and obviously his, his in-ring abilities would hone up. And as we saw in the, in the early to mid nineties, he was he really was like the mid-card asset, wasn't he? Always mm. having great matches and great feuds. And But right now, all, all he's got going for him at this early stage is just a shed load of homoerotic <laughs> phallic <laughs> resemblances with his bad blaster and the lipstick and all, all the catchphrases. And, uh, and that's all there is here. But this is this is the start of the, the turn, at which point he'd start to connect yeah. with the audience. It weren't until like 93, 94, I don't think, that he really started getting good. And obviously he had a crack in 95, 96 as well until yeah. he moved to WWE. And to be fair, for the first year in WWE, he was pretty fucking good then as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. I think the the difference between when you think about Johnny B. Bad and Van Hammer and Firebreaker Chip, because they all came into WCW around about the same time. Yeah, all three guys with with big gimmicks. You could see that Johnny B. Bad had wrestling ability and was making an effort and was trying to improve as well. And I think even with this match, you can see he has got that um, that ability. Yeah, and he always had the athletic start as well compared to some yeah. of the others. A former boxer, he's clear, clearly in better. You know, they're they're all they've all got the TV bodies, but he's clearly got the better conditioning. But he was just really, really green with the with the airs and graces of competing in the wrestling ring, the sort of things that I, if I, if I tried to go in and do a wrestling match, they're the things I'd get caught short in. I don't understand because I've never done that. And they were the things he was picking up. And when, when he added those things together, that was it. He, he, he was very, very good for a few years. Was uh, Johnny B. Bad with Sable at this point? I don't know. Because um... I, 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 I can never find any pictures of what she used to look like around this time. I think it might have been a little bit later because she was married before Mark Mero as well, wasn't she? Oh, okay. Ah, right. Okay. And he, she he has know, a daughter, son. Yeah. They got married in 1994 and, yeah, he adopted her daughter from a previous marriage. So whether they were, this was three, three, this was the tail end of 91. So whether they were together at this point it's not clear it's completely pointless to the story but i can never find any pictures of sable around this time because i've got friends who used to go mad for her and i, ne- I never got it i was you know tory wilson stacy keebler all day long i never got the sable thing whatsoever and um, and i was just doing the research trying to find what did she look like around 91 92 time you know, just for my research purposes. Um, you know, you know, it sounds like Liam, Liam's already looked, you know, nah, yeah, on the Wikipedia page. It, look, it looks like she, she was nowhere near the wrestling business at this point. 1993, um, yeah. she met Mark the Mara, and that was her in. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Jim Ross tells us that after the commercial break, it is time for the US title match, assuming, of course, that Sting can get in, get to the ring in time to make the match happen. So, match number eight for the WCW United States title, Ravishing Rick Rude with Paulie Dangerously challenges the champion Sting. 
Um, the network again here have overdubbed Rude's entrance music with some generic dross, the bastards. Um, Paul E looks magnificently smug here, once again saying what a horrible tragedy has occurred here tonight, how Sting has let everyone down. And while uh, Paul E is rattling on, we go to another cutaway scene of Sting arriving in a stolen ambulance like a Mancunian going to do their shopping at the supermarket, if anyone read that story last week. Um <laughs> That wasn't you, was it, Joe? That was me, yes, it was, yes. Moving on. Um, As Paulie is encouraged to keep talking by the commentators to allow Sting more time to get here, we see Sting arriving at the venue with the left leg of his tights cut off and his knee heavily bandaged. The crowd are cheering, so they must be able to see it on the big screen, and their cheers prompt Paulie to look at the big screen himself to see the same thing. And this is brilliant. He suddenly stops talking, flies into a panic, demands that the bell is rung to start, the match and again the crowd are going crazy here um sting then uh, i think inadvertently goes full spinal tap because he can't find his way into the building <laughs> but a group of baby faces showing where the door is he climbs onto the ramp so rude charges down the ramp to meet him only to be cut off for a flurry of punches and a press slam on the ramp did i mention how the crowd are going crazy um sting's already favoring that bad knee as jim ross praises his courage rude's bumping all over the place for him him, including one of his trademark high backdrops and a clothesline over the top rope. Uh, but Sting's luck eventually runs out because as Rude is on the, the outside after that clothesline, he grabs Sting by the left leg, pulls him off balance, runs his knee into the ring post and the crowd almost falls silent at that very moment because they realise that the game might be up. Um, Rude goes for the Rude Awakening, but Sting prizes Rude's hands apart to block it, which is a fairly unique counter. I don't know if Ultimate Warrior might have done that as well, but not many people have done that. Um, He then punches Rude, who collapses into the ropes, but Rude then springs back from the ropes and falls onto the back of Sting's bad knee. As Sting staggers to the ropes, Paulie smacks him around the back of the head with his massive 90s mobile phone. Rude makes a cover, Everyone thinks that's the end, but Sting kicks out and Paulie goes crazy. Um, Sting hits a DDT, then he grabs Paulie, who's on the apron, but this allows Rude to clip his knee, just like Luger did earlier. Uh, Rude then rolls Sting up, grabs a handful of tights, and gets the pinfall to win the US title in four minutes, 50 seconds. The crowd once again falls silent in shock and disappointment. Um, I mean, this, out of all the matches, this was the one that we remember 30 years later, isn't it? Yeah, I wrote down 30 years ago, uh, it's Raw 101 for many years, the fact that um, segment one, babyface gets taken out, goes to hospital, ambulance, um, Nixon ambulance comes back in the uh, main event to uh, overcome everything. That's that's what I've written down, uh, written down here, along with uh, this Paul E. Dangerously guy. I, I don't know what happened to him, um, but he looked like he, he... Do you know what? He's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no taking away from it. You know, Paul Heyman, he's, he's just unbelievable. And what's this? Like you say, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, and he's as good as ever now. Mm. Um, the match, to be fair, the notes that I made probably should have been the main event. The match wasn't 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 great. The match wasn't great. And how do you know it went like? Was it four minutes it went? Four minutes, 50 seconds, yeah. Right. So did, did, did you get that information from somewhere? Because the geek inside me rewound this three times. I didn't hear an opening bell when taking the timing. 
Ah, this was from Wikipedia at the timing, so. Ah, well, there you go. Paul Hamel was lying about that. He's been logging into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the geek that I am, I, I, I was like, okay, and I was taking rough timings and whatever and see what was edited from, you know, the, the network version and the VHS version. I really need to get a life at weekends. Um, but yeah, no opening bell. And I and so I had it down in like four minutes-ish, something like that. Um, it, 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 it wasn't great. I think it should have been main event because the whole storyline throughout the show, it was written more like a Raw than it was a Saturday night's main event. You know, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of filler on this show, but this was the running story the whole way through. So therefore, for me, why would I stick around and watch the main event, which didn't have the two biggest stars in the world? This should have been the main event, but I think it should have probably finished differently. It, it didn't do a lot for me, and I, I think even as a kid, I was left a little disappointed. Liam? Yeah. Don't really know what else to add there. <laughs> I will say I will say one thing is that there's a few disclaimers going on about it's uh, it's technically not that great, and I suppose it's yeah, it's not uh, Ric Flair in the '80s sort of classic matches or anything we see now with the usual suspects like the Akadas and stuff. But but for for a sub five minute match with the storytelling involved. It was exactly what they wanted to be, and I thought it was great as a result. And I suppose if you was to do a, a bit of a, a creative exercise to try and compile a collection of the best wrestling matches of all time that didn't go past the five-minute mark, I think this would have to be included. Um, maybe a couple of Sid squashes would would get on there for being quite significant. Sid Lee Scott. Yeah, one one the most well-remembered squash of all time. That that fit the criteria for being a a great, memorable sub-five-minute match. I think there was a, wasn't there a famous, um, was it Owen Hart and the one, two, three kid just did this mesmerizing sprint at the King of the Ring, I want to say. Stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. there's a few. 94, yeah. It'd be such an interesting list. And this, uh, with that criteria, this would absolutely be on it because it did everything it set to do. They wanted the belt on Rude, who just made his debut at Halloween Havoc. Uh, We we are setting the wheels in motion for the Dangerous Alliance, as you said earlier. And Sting has been, you know, set back. He's been vanquished, but he's... He's got an out and he's going to come back with a vengeance, as we saw at the end of the Dangerous Alliance angle with the glorious Wrestle War 92 that we covered very early on. Yeah, yeah, one year, I think two, episode two or three. I've, I've got to say, I absolutely loved this. And I, I don't think you wanted it to go very long at all. Because exactly. I, I would liken this as um, listening to what, watching how the, the fans were to how fans in Britain were when you're watching a, a giant haystacks match. And allow me to explain because it probably sounds a bit odd. But when I was a kid watching the giant haystacks match and you'd see the, the blue eye, the baby face on the ground, you immediately wanted them to like get up or roll over or something. Because if you were on the ground, you're open to the big elbow. And if giant haystacks hit the big elbow, that was it. It was over. Literally no one ever got up from it. So you were Thank always... You Including him, yeah. So you were always kind of on your on the edge of your seat, on your guard, like, oh my God, don't let this happen, don't let this happen. This is a similar dynamic in that 
you know that if Sting's knee gets caught by Rude, it's over. But so long as Sting can keep moving and so long as Sting can keep on the offense, he's doing okay. And it's, it's. I mean, we have one sort of false finish, but generally speaking, it is once Rude catches him, that's it, game over. Um, and it's it's just a great angle because it also sets up the re- a rematch because you're thinking, well, if Sting was fully fit, if there hadn't been a, a plot to begin with, then you know how would this have how would this have have, um, have materialised? Because after the break, we go backstage with Shivani, who is with Paulie and Rude and Medusa, showing that they're all in it to begin with. And Paulie says it was a conspiracy from the beginning. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, he mentions for the first time the phrase "the Dangerous Alliance." So um, yeah, I, it's you know, thirty years later, it is the it is the angle, it is the story from this show that we that we remember. Because um, I'll be honest, I had forgotten that this was where Ricky Steamboat debuted as well, Joel, um, until the, the, yeah, the listings came up. I just remembered it as, as Sting v. Rude. Um, but again, okay. on, the, on, the, on the, uh, the VHS that you bought, it did still say, you know, the old Rumbles used to say, like, um, featuring Akeem, and it wasn't. It had been replaced by Earthquake or whoever it was. This was the same situation where you pull up the um, you pull up what's on the show and it, 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 it uh, comes up with Barry Windham. So yeah. you go to yourself, I don't remember that. I'm sure it'll be half decent, but I don't remember that. Now, without doing a Rob McNichol and being on for seven hours, um, <laughs> can I just ask you, you both a question as wrestling fans? Mm. Um, Sting, any good, ever been any good, would he make you top 20 of all time? Yes. Where would he sit? Uh, probably back end, but he'd absolutely be on there. Um, I think the, big, the biggest problem Sting faces is that in that first push when, when he was given the world title that first time against Ric Flair in 1990, everyone on on the NWA, Crockett, WCW side, thought they had their Hogan. He was not their Hogan, but he was a very charismatic, very like, you know, he had that instant connection with the live crowds. He he, he did good business. He just, it wasn't Hogan business. It was nowhere near that sort of a draw. But, he endured through so many things and the irony being that he would end up becoming the the uh, the, the top guy of the company in a feud with a hill turned Hogan where obviously he got shafted a little bit and little things like that obviously trim it away a little bit but he has always had this incredible aura even to now where they, it's a no-brainer at the age of like what 61 62 years now and it's a no-brainer for AEW to bring him in as literally just someone who who does like a walking run-in to save the day. And he can do that every couple of weeks and it won't get old. And they're making a big deal of hype about him doing a tag match, which he'll he'll absolutely piss that. Because he won't do a ton and he'll be very well protected and he'll, he'll piss that. And there's so much demand for him to do it. So he is, he's stood through so many generations and he has always had that gravitas to him. But a lot of people sell him short because he had those expectations at first that he never met, that he never could meet, that a lot of people couldn't meet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he he isn't the the greatest technical wrestler ever, but I don't think he'd say that he was himself anyway. He was his style of of matches, his style of wrestling was very energetic, was very crash bang wallop, just and and it, it got the energy levels of the crowd up and matching him. And then you gotta think about 
the the total reinvention from surface sting to crow sting, yet still being a beloved baby face in a completely different way. And then you look at the numbers that, that they did at Starcade 97 with Hogan. And, you know, if Hogan didn't have a credible opponent that people wanted to see and believed could beat Hogan, that, that wouldn't have done the numbers. So um, I think just his longevity and his, his um, reinventing, I would put him, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you, Liam, you know, the, 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 the back end of a top 20, probably. And it's also worth saying that he, he was John Cena before there was a John Cena. When you, when you try to find comparisons for his ring style, I think, I, I remember when John Cena was, was coming through all the magazines and that used to say, well, he, this guy could be the next Sting. And if you look back at that now, you, you'd stop and you think about what Cena has done and how he carried himself. You think, well, they're not quite the same. But if you look at the way they operated... Uh, it was it was a, it was a very like American wrestling two dimensional style, but they're also capable of having some amazing matches with a lot of people. And you can tell that Joe agrees with me because he's pouring a glass to have a toast. Yeah, I was, <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna step there with me. Hang on, just, just uh, hang on. There we go. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Triple H and Robert Nickel. There, um, I wish I'd never asked. No, no. To, to, to be fair, no, that was um, that's great. I just asked the question because many people say Sting. They go, mm. you, you never see him crop up in that list. You know, top ten, top twenty people. Um, but I must admit, you know, when I put AEW on, I can watch it in twenty five minutes. I look at the Chris Jericho promo. I maybe watch one, one and a half matches. And then I watched the entire entrance with Sting. And I wasn't like the biggest Sting fan in the world, but you go, wow, head and shoulders above, you know, star quality. Yeah. And like like you say, he's 162 or something now. He comes out, I like the <laughs> the old, um, you know, look, he, the thing is now he, he comes out, he's got dandruff with, uh, with his snow effect. <laughs> <laughs> he comes out and it's, and I, I, don't know, I really like it, but um, no, that's all I was asking. So thank you very much to my right honourable friends for the uh, answer. And it probably also reminds me of being in a dressing room with the Road Warriors in the late 80s. <laughs> to be fair, I like the way you said that about the dead. <laughs> they they can't, can't sue you for libel. I can't uh, say anything about PM News earlier on or PM News earlier on, but you can say something about the Road Warriors because you know you're safe. Um, so uh, our final match, number nine, it is for the WCW World Heavyweight title, and it sees Rick Steiner accompanied by Scott Steiner, who uh, Jim Ross tells us has got a manager's license for the night, versus Lex Luger, who is accompanied by Harley Race and his bodyguard, Mr. Hughes. Before the match begins, Mr. Hughes is thrown out of the ringside area before he can even do anything. Um, the match starts off slowly and cagely, which is, I guess, quite appropriate for a world title match. First big move sees Steiner catch a Luger leapfrog attempt and turn it into a power slam for a two count, followed by a Steiner line. Um, Luger escapes to the outside for a consultation with Harley Race. Um, Steiner ducks a Luger clothesline, executes a German suplex for another two count. The crowd seemed very subdued, though, maybe after the excitement of the previous match, um, which I guess goes back to exactly what you were saying, Joel, that maybe the, the Sting and uh, Rude match should have been main event. Yeah, yeah. I guess they could have said they're trying to give Sting a bit more time. Um, I, I, I think so. I just think it's, and again, this wasn't a pay-per-view, so people hadn't bought it, so to say. If it was nowadays and they're so obsessed with their TV ratings, why would you stick around? It's not like it was um, Ric Flair versus Sting in the main event. So 
are people going to stick around to watch Rick Steiner, tag team wrestler, versus Lex Luger, who was, you know, not really of a level at this point? Um, I, I think the show is a bit misplaced in this way. Yeah. And it, am I right in thinking it was meant to be Ron Simmons fighting um, uh, in place of... What notes did I make here? Let me have a look here. Well, Sim- Simmons had wrestled... Um, yeah, it was maybe Luger against Havoc Simmons. Havoc 91, hadn't he? So the yeah, so this so was, was going to be a rematch, yeah. Right. Yeah, this was going to be Luger against Simmons, but didn't Simmons get injured? Yeah. That, that's what I wrote down. I don't, I don't know if that's true or, what, or whatever, but um, during my research, um, that's what I believed it was meant to be, and it says that as well on the VHS cover. Right. Well, that, yeah, because I think he says that in the it's something like that on the interview that he's he's injured at the moment. Um, I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention, I have to say, but to it, but it's um, yeah, oh, that makes um, that makes a bit more sense then, I guess. Um, the referee gets knocked out of the way as he gets too close to the wrestlers, and while his back is turned, Luger drops Steiner groin first across the ropes and follows this with a clothesline to the back of the head. Um, later on, Steiner blocks a vertical suplex attempt, counters with one of his own, but Luger pokes him in the eye to regain the advantage. Steiner then reverses things with another power slam off the ropes for another two count. He then goes up top and lands his top rope bulldog, but Luger gets his foot on the ropes. Steiner then sits Luger up on the top rope and hits a belly-to-belly superplex, sensing that the title is in danger. Mr. Hughes reappears. But he is met by Scott Steiner, who throws Hughes into the ring and then hits a Frankensteiner, which Hughes takes by landing on his head. Um, Rick lands a belly-to-belly suplex on Luger as Harley Race climbs onto the apron to distract the ref. So Rick suplexes Race in for Liam, his contractually obligated bump. Uh, in the confusion, Luger grabs the title belt, nails Steiner in the head with it, and behind the behind the referee's back, obviously, to get the pinfall to retain his title in 11 minutes 30 seconds. What did you make of our main event? And then uh, Joel, um, the manager's license thing again. I believe this is a child. So would that mean <laughs> yes. that, for example, when the Rockers uh, were against um, the Orient Express and Marty Giannetti was outside while Shawn Michaels was in the ring, would Giannetti have to get a manager's license? Is that how it works? I mean, because you, you, you've been there, you're a manager. Of uh, you course. May have managed, uh, have you managed anyone famous? Um, no one really of note, no. Okay, no, just, no, that's cool. Um, but if you ever did, uh, would you have to get a manager's license? Well, I um, I do remember um, in an FWA show, um, oh, really. uh, we we had uh, a bit of paper that was uh, purported to be a manager's license for, I believe it was for sticks, and that manager's license was actually the uh, work permit that had been used for a previous show for a wrestler called Terry Funk. I didn't have anything to do with him on that show, though. No, that's um, fine. Just just so yeah, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so well, yeah. 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 Um, so, um, yeah, it... Uh, it would. Um, it, I, I know there, there's uh, there's often been a um, a wind up for um, referees when the someone starts as a referee and you tell them like you know they had to pay fifty quid for a referee's license and see if you could get them to actually hand some money. Oh yeah. Before telling them that it was a wind up. Yeah. Or did they? On TV. Yeah. 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 They wouldn't have done, would they? Mick Foley would never have done that. <laughs> It's, in it, professional right. wrestling, carny as fuck. I bet you there's a few people who actually oh, ran right. that scam. Oh god, this yeah. is why no, this is why Dean's gone quiet because the very first mm-hmm. time you went into a referee anywhere, you would have you would have fallen for that scam, wouldn't you? You you fall for the scam, <laughs> uh, and that's why you went. Mm, I know. 
Well, I, I was I was always uh, I started out as an MC for about five years. So by the time I uh, ended up refereeing the match, I was wise to the uh, to the scams. The other one, of course, being when um, if you went from England to Scotland or England to Wales, telling the uh, young rookie in the van that. Um, that they had to have bring their passport and then you know, you'd oh, have yeah. to hide them buried under the bags and stuff. Yeah. Did, oh, Dean, did you, uh, did, did they tell you early on that the ring was broken one night and you'd have to go to B and Q for a long wait? A long to wait and some, and some tartan paint. Yeah. That, that was the classic one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Class hammer. Uh, they're all there. No, on this one, I made, I made notes of, um, it was mainly Luger against, uh, Simmons, which, um, uh, you back me up on Liam. Um, Scott, who had his manager's license. Now, bear in mind, if he's got his manager's license, is he allowed to do the Frankensteiner and kill Mr. Hughes? I don't think so, no. Right, so this is what I mean. I mean, this is where it's starting to get a little bit, you know, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, Mr. Hughes looked like he was going to die. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 did he get up from this? Is he okay? Is he <laughs> suing WCW now for death? Uh, well, I, I was I was wondering a if he was going to break his neck or if he didn't break his neck if his uh, sunglasses gonna, were just going to yeah, smash into his sunglasses. eyes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, imagine that. That would be painful, wouldn't it? Well, he he did legitimately have an incident at a house show where his um where his his sunglasses broke and and nearly went into his eye and that's why he stopped wearing sunglasses when he wrestled basically. But but as the professional that he is, like Triple H with his torn quad. He carried on the match. Carried until on. Until the end. Yeah, carried on. Because that's what you do. That's what you do, yep. Dean. Absolutely. Um, right. Lex Luger. Let's go into Lex Luger here. Now, this is his first big push, right? Is he just so arrogant at this point that he thinks he is brilliant that doesn't need to show anything or give two fucks? Because that's what it looked like to me. I... Is that, or or, or is, is he talentless? I, I, I or, or, I'll see both. I was going to say a little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah, I, yeah. I think Lex Luger. I, I mean, I don't know what you think of this, Liam, but in my eyes, Lex Luger is one of the greatest contract negotiators in wrestling history after Hulk Hogan, and therefore they always had to pay, make his, make his contract <coughs> worthwhile by giving him a big push. But also, this, as I mentioned right at the top of the show, this was one of his last title defences because uh, WCW in their wisdom had signed him to a contract where he only needed to wrestle a certain number of dates and he was getting very close to that number um, mm. so he was uh, not no longer giving a fuck and was bulking up to go to the uh, World Bodybuilding Federation at this point in time Yeah and we also, I think we've covered that story while we've done Starcade 91, Super Bowl 2 Super Bowl 92 we've, we've, in, a bit of a, yeah, in a bit of a strange order we, we've seen through all of this but to our the original question, I think we've seen enough of Luger. If you think of 89 to 90, uh, some some of the stuff that surprised a lot of us when he first returned to WCW, like the the great character work in 96, especially. But he had some he had some decent efforts with guys like the Giant, and that obviously had that that really surprisingly good run to a brief world title reign over Hollywood Hogan. He he shows that he always shows enough to show that he can do the job, but then he'll put his feet up for six months yeah. out of every 12. Um, I want to go back to one thing because I just realising you guys talking about 
how a manager license prop could be actually like a, a legitimate bit of paperwork for something else. And if we think about this, Scott Steiner's injured at the minute. And considering what he'd looked like when he came back to action in 1992, is it fair to say that manager's license is actually a prescription of some sort? <laughs> no, it, it, do you remember those days when, when people used to you know, come back from injuries and you'd go, yes. oh, it, yeah, and, I mean, the Triple H one on Raw, do you remember that when he came back? I mean, what was that? Um, early 2000s. And you go, he's not been able to work out. And I think it might have been a Kurt Angle thing. And he took his took his top off and he just went, you know, as a as a straight man, no, seriously, as a straight man, I looked at him when he took that top off and I was like, wow, how, how? You've been injured. How do you, how, do, how, do, how? And I've even got the book, Building a Better Body by Triple H. I got that one Christmas. You were the one it, who bought it? No, I think I might have got it for free, but uh, oh. via somebody. I think oh, Rob, right. McNichol might, Rob McNichol might have given it to me. Um, but it was, it, it was, how do you come back? Now, I remember Scotty Steiner coming back in 92 and again, just going, wow, that, wow. Uh, how does that work, Dean? Because you've got the inside track on this. Well, you, you work really, really hard in the gym. But um, how can you if you're injured? I mean, I, I suppose in, in all seriousness, you've got to, you, you've got to wait and you, you need to be able to fully use the, the body part that has been injured. And I suppose, you know, then there's also the creative side of it of you want them to come back at an opportune time when you've got a storyline for them. So there, there will be a genuine window where they are like fully functional before they, they make their, their return. And this, you know, it's a massive name that's being rushed back. Um, I think that's your sort of your legitimate answer. Um, but yeah, it, it is one of those things that you, you always notice. I mean, we've, we, we're doing nitro watch alongs from mid 96 and, and we're seeing Scott Steiner at that point oh. get even bigger and he's starting to evolve into the, the big popper pump body that we, we all know and love. It's also, I, um, sorry, Joe. That's fine, then, Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to point out, it's worth saying, with, with injuries, that is the one time a doctor of actual moral fibre will prescribe you steroids. Uh, because especially things like muscle tears and that, you there, there are a lot of situations where you can get those sort of things to heal an injury. So if you've got the right connections, which as we've seen with the likes of uh, George Zahorian and things like that, and was it the... What was it, what was it called? Um the 2007 signature pharmacy. signature pharmacy you find the right place that is willing to prescribe you something for an injury but then just keep it rolling even though you're healed then you've got just the ticket you need really don't you yeah but you don't put it under your, your own name for god's sake i mean you saw some of these do you know what's that red mysterio's oscar something isn't it and it was like okay you can sort of get away with that but there was everybody who was arresting under their real name and buying it under their real name. And you've got to go, fucking hell, how thick do you have to be, you know, if you've got to do this stuff. But going back to Scott Steiner, um, and he gets a lot of shit, right? Do you remember the WWA promotion? Yeah. The guy who's, I think, went to prison now. Uh, and this Andrew is what. McManus. Yeah. I didn't know and he I went think, to prison. Yeah, yeah, he went to prison. Just while I'm talking about this, have a little Google of that. And he, he was working on this show with Jerry Borash in what, 2000, 2001, maybe? Something like that, and they did a tour. It was after WCW went out of business. Well, WCW went under in 2001. I must, I reckon it must have been 2002 or three, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Early noughties, yeah. 
whatever it was. And I was working for the uh, radio station in Manchester there, and they got in touch. And uh, it was very much like, you know, you like wrestling, don't you? We're spending a load of money with a station. They spent probably about 100 grand with a station, uh, radio station, to promote their gig and have adverts and whatever that I voiced. Um, and they had, I think it was Road Dog they had. They had Scott Steiner, Jeff Jarrett, uh, uh, probably Billy Gunner, some, someone like that this time. There was, there was loads of these, you know, guys that were, that were kicking around. And um, in and, and an early segment, they were like, do you want to do something with Scott Steiner? And I went, yeah. Of course I do. <laughs> so I'm like, and uh, one uh, PR people was like, well, Scotty takes his uh, wrestling really seriously, so never mention it's fake. And, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know, look. So um, they explained what was going to happen. And um, I, I'd stand in the ring with Jeremy Borash. And Jeremy Borash was like, here is Joel Ross from Key 103. Uh, yeah, who are you out here to see tonight? And I was like, I'm out here to see the road dog. And at this point, uh, Scott Steiner's music um, hits. Now, he comes out, and he said, he'd said beforehand, I'm going to throw you out of the rope. And he went, stay down, or I'll make sure you fucking stay down. Right? And I was like, <laughs> oh, right, okay. So he, uh, he throws me between the uh, middle and top rope. Now, I, I, I have so much respect for workers because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> and I flew against the ropes, pinged the middle rope, flew back into Scott Steiner, and he <laughs> threw me, threw me over the top rope. Now, bear in mind, this is in the Manchester Evening News Arena, which, you know, there's about 18,000 people, can get in there. There was about 1,800 people in there. Mm-hmm. And I land like a sack of spuds on the floor, right? And I just know to stay down, right? Anyway, they finished their little segment. It was going on for a while. And then I get taken to the back, right? The first thing that Scott Steiner did was find me and make sure I was all right. It's like, you sure you're okay, man? Man, are you sure you you're great at that? You sure you're okay? Are you sure you're okay? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry you had to do that. And he was such a nice guy and there was drinks afterwards in the bar and he would just kept going, Are you sure okay? Are you sure okay? <laughs> you know. Um oh, so I I will take that as, as as he came back and found me because he thought he'd hurt me. Yeah. Oh. He had, but I, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't sell it, obviously. See, I, I thought when, you were going to say when you went through the ropes, it pinged back and the ropes smacked you in the face because that's oh, happened to me before. Oh, yeah, I was, I genuinely, I was in agony. But it's the kept, he kept doing that thing where he pats you on the back and said, You okay, man? You okay? Yeah. I was like, Well, oh, come on. But yeah, um, that's my Scott Steiner story, and uh, he's a nice man. Oh, good stuff. And I'm, I've just looked up. Uh, uh, Andrew McManus was arrested in 2017. I've seen a photo of him, and I'm like, my God, he hasn't aged well. But um, no, no, he hasn't. The road has yes. been hard. Uh, arrested. I, I don't know what the uh, what the outcome was, but he was arrested <laughs> in connection with the alleged. And I hasten to use the word alleged importation of 300 kilograms of cocaine and money laundering. Yeah, I mean, there's taking the piss and taking the piss. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can get away with personal for that. I mean, 300 kilos of cocaine. I mean, that's that's that, like I mean, a, a sumo wrestler made out of cocaine, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's hawking animal for the weekend, but come on. <laughs> yeah. So, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle for this show. What would you say? Well, Liam, you go first. Uh, yeah, I mean, c- considering the fact that there's nonetheless a lot of filler on this, it's still an easy thumbs up because it's such a significant show. You've got one amazing match. You've got a couple of things you can enjoy and you've got the obvious 
not not quite as good as an in-ring match as the uh, tag title change, but the United States title thing is obviously a big, significant thing that's going to stick in your memory. Hell, that's why we're here today, because that stuck yep. in our memory. And we said, oh, wait, it's the tag title as well. Great, bonus, extra sweeties. So that just that just goes to show the significance of the two. And it's great to get some, some amazing ring action, but the Sting Rude thing made people track this down and it makes them remember the tag match afterwards. Yeah. Joel? Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, when you look back at it on paper, you go, oh, that's an awful match. Oh, that was going to be awful. I can't believe Steve Austin's having to work at PN News. But I watched it on Sunday afternoon and I sat down for a couple of hours uh, watched it and I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was just nice to sit there and watch some stuff and go, oh, and I think the highlight, obviously, for everybody would have been the tag team match because I forgot about it. Mm. And you know when you forget about something, you watch it back and you go, and it, and it was that nice thing where we've all been stuck in lockdown, uh, you know, I've been thinking about other things and uh, it was it was just, it reminded you of your childhood when you were 14 or 15 and I was just going, oh, that was, you know, that was good times at that point. So no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, do you know what? Eric Bischoff, he was the most punchable man on that on that show. <laughs> Even though he's playing a baby face, I think I texted you about this. He is just like, oh, yeah, we're here backstage. I was like, oh my God, the teeth and the hair. And it was, you know, to say he is, he went on to be uh, an absolutely world-class uh, TV performer. He is frigging awful at this point. <laughs> I mean, you know, he plays a baby face brilliant uh, plays a heel brilliantly um he's trying to play baby face here and we all know him now as being like the miserable git um he was just so annoying on this show um but it's great just to look at like you know paul Heyman on here steve yeah. austin it's nice to look at where people were at this point and where they went to uh and uh, and van hammer and firebreaker chip <laughs> yeah the the only yeah the only down point I can think about on this show is that the last two matches in both had heel victories with by nefarious means should we say and I don't know if they could have done something to end the show in a high even though having the heels run out of the ring by baby faces or something but then on the other hand I think this was something that set WCW apart from WWF in that they would sometimes have pay-per-views or quite often have pay-per-views where the, the heel won and the heel got one over the baby faces because it kind of made it a bit more realistic you know the, the good guys don't always win and eventually obviously the heel has to get their comeuppance but they weren't afraid to send people home not very happy but thinking they'll come back for next time to see the heel be he'll be defeated we embrace the whole format now. If, if it was on now, you would have, um, and it's, it sounds so bad saying it now in 2021, uh, in between those two main events, you would have uh, the buffer match and then you would sling out the women. You know, you can't say, you, you don't say that anymore because it's, you know, it's, they had their own 30 woman Royal Rumble as the men did. But in those days, it would be like, we need to bring them down. Well, well yeah, but you've got like, Trish and Victoria or Trish and Mickey James. Oh, yeah, 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 but, yeah but they're really good. It's not mm. like, you know, it, it, it's it's really weird. It's, it's a very weird formatted show in the way that they put everything, all the eggs in one basket, and the whole thing through that show, the whole running storyline was the Rick Rude uh, and Sting angle, and it wasn't the main event, and I kept going back to the point, 
why would I stick around for Luger? Yeah. You know, bearing in mind, I was never a fan of Luger. Rick Steiner, yeah, great in a tag team, but I didn't, I didn't believe. I mean, was, was he the guy that they believed in at this point? If you were going to pick, and I picked the wrong one in the Rockers, I picked Marty Jannetty over Shawn Michaels, hands up. Um, but did they pick... Did they pick? I, I just realised I'm speaking the wrong microphone. Did, did, did they pick at, uh, Rick over Scott as being the breakout star? Um, I think. I mean, I think in, in this instance it was just because Scott Scott was injured. Was was injured, but and Simmons was injured, and it was like who's Simmons around? Said, who's around? Yeah, and I mean Luger was Luger had the belt put on him because in the summer of '91 that's when Flair left to go to W. WF, so they were suddenly like a few weeks before their biggest show of the summer, they were scrambling around for a main event and decided to make it Luger against Barry Windham and put the belt on the babyface because they'd had a heel champ for so long. So, um, yeah, Luger kind of ended up in that role by default. I never personally thought it suited him very well, but there you go. No, but I mean, to, to, to um, what they say, put a bow on it. I, uh, I, I enjoyed the show. I really, I really did enjoy it. And uh, it was a nice escape. But what did it run out, run out on, the, um, on the network? Was that two, just a short two hours? Um, I one, I think it was something like one hour 49 or two. Yeah. yeah. It was more, nearly, nearing two hours, basically, yeah. Yeah. Without um, the breaks and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I could have watched that on a menu match. And I'm glad, <laughs> glad I picked the right one. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, that brings our first review of a clash of the champions to an end it would not be the last certainly because these are fun little shows um joel thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it sorry it took us so bloody long to invite you on the show you're more than welcome thank you very much and um no doubt I'll speak to you in the next uh, six years or something <laughs> yeah, if, um, <laughs> thank you liam if people want to get hold of you or find you on uh, social media where can they go uh prison uh no you can find, <laughs> you can find us at uh I think it's Joel Ross Radio on Twitter. Uh, Joel Ross Radio. The thing is, I don't really tweet that much any, anymore. I just have it because of work and to stalk people. Because you know when you know when you get done so many times with telling certain people to go and um, yeah, uh, yeah. play with uh, cars on the M6, um, it, it's probably just best just to say you like things now. I just have my scream and I like it. So um, occasionally, if I'm pissed at two o'clock in the morning watching a pay per view, that's when you get the real me. But just remember, they're deleted the next day, so you need to be there live. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, and you can uh, find us on Twitter at BecauseWCW or Facebook.com forward slash BecauseWCW. Um, our entire back catalogue is available at BecauseWCW.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please do subscribe to us, and if you can rate and review us, even better. Um, so we'll be back with, um, I guess, Liam, it'll be another Nitro Watch Along next time. Well, now we've hit the hot spot, you stop me from getting those loaded up. So on behalf of Liam and on behalf of Joel, this is me, Dean Ayers, saying thank you for listening and we'll see you ringside.